Please be seated, friends, and turn in your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 1 as we read uh, chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 2. Again, is the Apostle Paul writing to Titus, giving instructions as to how he ought to establish the church in Crete. And so we read again now in Titus chapter 1, verse 5 and following. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. This is the Lord's word. Again, would you bow with me as we pray? Again, our Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for that hymn we just sang. And as we have um, lifted this hymn to you, we do ask again that you would come and be present with us by your spirit, that your blessing be upon your word going forward, that you will bless um, your, your servant in his weakness, and we pray that you would bless your people in their weakness as well, and that you would help us, Lord, to give heed to your word, and I pray that you would bless and strengthen your church for these days in which we live. We recognize, Father, that we are in a very dark time uh, spiritually as a nation. We have celebrated our sin, and we have turned our back on all that is good and right that uh, you have revealed through nature as you have established uh, a reality, and we are defining now reality by our own sinful uh, selves. We ask that you'll forgive us. And we pray that tonight's, uh, the word tonight would be a corrective to that, at least in a small measure in this congregation. We ask your help and for your blessing, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The world has uh, indeed crept into the church, And church leaders, I believe, are largely responsible uh, for this because we have loved notoriety, we have loved prestige, we have desired to be liked by people, to be big churches, because everyone knows that if you have a big church, it means that you're doing things right. Not. um, Not necessarily. Um, 
in true American fashion, we do celebrate grandeur. And we, we walk. Um, it's, it's very interesting to me that if, when you read the scriptures, and we pointed this out in regard to David, that as, as Samuel was looking for the next king of Israel, he's, David's older brothers are passing by, and, and Samuel is saying, surely this is the Lord's anointed this man, I mean, they're, they're nice-looking young men. They're, they're going to be, this, this is exactly what we need. And remember the rebuke that the Lord gave to Samuel. He says, don't look at the outside. Men look at the outside, but, but the Lord looks at the heart of men. And we're so enamored by what is outward. And David was a man who, although a nice-looking man, he was a man who had a heart after God's own heart. Interestingly, even more so, is we're never told what Jesus Christ looked like, the Son of God, very God of very God. I think that's a very significant point. But here we, we judge, and we judge wrongly, and, and it drives us that our priorities drive the church so that we soften the truth, so that we, we don't want to offend the big words, and I, I drop them off, and nice, and, and being winsome, and and doing all of these things, you know, we have to win the culture, which I think fundamentally is a very Arminian mindset because it implies that we can actually win people to the Lord without their hearts being renewed. Their, their hearts must be renewed. And so we've approached and we have marketed the church like salesmen. We've got to close the deal. We've got to market these things and we've got to sell these things in order to get them. However, this is a problem because it has caused us to compromise on any number of things. As Paul is, is addressing Titus, we see that there is a great pressure being put on the church. And his exhortation to Titus is that leaders must lead. They must push back against the godless ideas, the doctrines of demons, the worldly mindsets that press in upon the church, trying to press us into its mold. Again, in verse 9, he says, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. They have to know the truth, and they have to be able to refute those who are being argumentative. One such idea that is wreaking havoc is this notion that we are to be um, uh, get in line with the culture. Now it's, it used to be called being politically correct. Now we call it being woke. And it's this notion that if you are judgmental in, in any sense, if you judge something as bad, it automatically means you, that you are being mean-spirited. In the name of love, in the name of winsomeness, in the name of tolerance, all sorts of very wicked things have crept into the church. Uh, the social justice gospel has crept into the church. We have, re we have virtually redefined the gospel in the American church now so that it's no longer about Jesus Christ and him crucified for sinners. It's about what political organization you're going to support, what race you're going to support. We have embraced in many quarters of the church the LGBTQ agenda, where again we are called now to love. You've watched this thing with the Dodgers, I'm sure, unfold about the transgender nuns who the Dodgers have brought into the stadium. And one Christian man says, Well, you know, it would be an unloving thing for me not to go out there and pitch during this thing. It's all about, about winsomeness. Somebody posted a, 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 um, a meme, a, a cartoon, they show Goliath wearing this LGBTQ badge on his chest or on his belt. 
And there's David, and he goes, I just want to come up to you and just show you how much I love you so that I can win you over to the Lord. And it was a mockery of this current mindset in the Lord's church where if we just are winsome and kind, and I'm, I'm not speaking against kindness, but we, we think we're going to win something by tolerating evil as it comes into the church. And so we never address these things. We have the destruction of roles between men and women, and we have this push that all faiths are really on equal footing. We have many truths and many ways, but we read this morning in John 14, I'm the only way to the Father. There is no other way. Not Muhammad, not the Buddha, not Gandhi, none of these lead to God the Father. Jesus Christ is quite exclusive and quite narrow, and yet... He is receptive of all manner of people and sinners, isn't he? We're testimony to this very thing. The church is is in a bad way. In many quarters, it has turned away from the truth. And what do you suppose the witness is in this world when the church does this? We're not finding people flocking to the church because the church is no different than the world. Worldly philosophies and standards have infiltrated the church and people are led astray because they stand for nothing. Just as Titus must speak against these things, so Christian elders too must not be passive with these false teachers and and these ungodly doctrines, not in the pulpit, but as we saw several weeks back, but also from day to day in speech and conversation. How very important it is Uh, When we consider with the news, the news that we are bombarded with, uh, the new purveyors of reality, how important it is in our day-to-day conversation to challenge these things. And I realize that that's a very uncomfortable thing. We've talked about that some. And I was talking to somebody recently about this, and they said they were talking uh, to a lady who was talking about flying saucers and fairies and things like this uh, that were approaching and visiting her property. And she said, I just sat there going, what do I even say about things like this? You know, a great, it's just a little trick that I've learned is when somebody says something like that, they say something so outlandish, and you say, I have to say something. You know the, the awkwardness I'm talking about? They say something that's so weird. What do you say? You go, you start off by just going, well, <laughs> and that eases you into a conversation. I don't know that there's an easy way. But we've got to start talking. We've got to start pushing back on these false ideas that are creeping in on the church. And we need to be doing it in our daily conversations and not just waiting for the pastor to be able to address them from the pulpit. It's the congregation, my friends. We are the ones who the Lord has placed in these United States. He is the one who has placed us here in Lander and in Riverton He's placed us here so that we would be a light, a witness, and we must open our mouths, even if it, even when it gets uh, terribly uncomfortable. We mustn't be, and mustn't think like the world. We mustn't be pressed into its mold. Again, Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And Jesus said in John 17, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. 
And this truth is the truth concerning Jesus Christ and what he has come to do and how he has conquered sin, how he is the king. And to him we will be judged. A day of judgment is coming. He did not save us so that we would remain living in sin and indulging our lusts. Again, if you read down a little bit further in Titus 2, verses 11 through 14, we read this. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Cretans stop being Cretans when they come face to face with the truth of Jesus Christ, when they repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus. And Americans stop being Americans when we start uh, dealing squarely with the truth of Jesus Christ and respond to the gospel and what it means for our lives. We must not continue to live like the world, and we must not continue to think like the world now. How do we do this? How do we function? And I'm so thankful uh, for you, my brothers, especially my sisters as well, but especially my brothers who come out on a Sunday night tonight. Because this is such a fundamental and such an important thing for the health of the church. Paul here is applying uh, those things which are fitting for sound doctrine, and he applies them to older men. Next week we will look at older women. Uh, he, he applies it to younger women and to younger men, to bond slaves and employees. The different groups in the church, he applies these things to so that they live in a manner consistent with what they profess. We help one another. Uh, we help one another. And you may not know it, but you, you your presence, your, your ministry to one another, whether an elder, a deacon or not, your ministry to one another is paramount to the health of the church. And I suspect that a lot of the weakness in the church has come from the professionalization of the ministry. The minister is the professional. We pay him. And we've come to some sort of mindset where, like in a theater, we pay for a movie ticket, we go into the theater, we sit down, we, we get our hour and a half, our two-hour movie, we get up and we leave and we've been entertained. <clears throat> and in some sense, I think this may be what happens in the American church. We've approached the Lord, we've approached his worship as entertainment. Have you ever caught yourself saying, oh, that was a really boring sermon today? Of course you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, 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 you know, but we come and we make these statements, these, these judgments as if you were the audience. You see, that's a, very, that's a very slippery slope. You don't want to do that. You don't want to say, I don't like this hymn. You, you want to sing them and say, huh, what a wonderful hymn. Listen to the words of this tune. Listen to what it's just said to me. You don't want to approach it as a spectator. You want to approach it as one who is involved in the very act of worshiping your king. And so he applies these things to these groups because it is important that we learn to help one another. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, we are called, my friends, to live like it. 
We are representing the Lord and his people before the world, and the body of Christ helps us to do this very thing. We need each other, and everyone must perform his or her duty for a healthy church. And so again, I am so thankful for my brothers who have come tonight. Because Paul, when he starts, listen to what he, where he starts in verse 2, and that's all we're looking at tonight. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. He's instructing them how they should live. Because you're important in, this, in the life of the church, like we spoke about the children this morning, we've become so fractured, so uh, disenfranchised, we've become isolated as groups. And, and the groups should never intertwine. That's, that's, a, that's a terrible mindset. Older men must live their lives in a manner fitting for the gospel. Again, consider the importance of, of older people. The fact that the apostle addresses them and does so first is how important they are to the culture, but especially to the church. You older brothers are vitally important to the health of this church. I, I can't say that enough. I, I, I've been thinking about this all day. I was going to mention it this morning by way of illustration, but the beauty of seeing older people talk to our children, and in my mind forever will be emblazoned Den Schofield talking to Ella Rose while she's eating a slice of pizza. You see this big older man sitting next to this tiny little girl and the two of them sharing a laugh. What a sweet memory that is in my mind. And, and you see the body of Christ interacting. So older people with younger people, how important the little children are to us, but how vastly important are you, you older men and women are to this congregation. <clears throat> um, they should not, older people should not be disregarded by the younger set, nor should you older folks distance yourselves from the younger set. And you must fight that temptation. And I know that the temptation is real. Because my, my own grandfather, who passed away at 92, um, he refused to give up driving. He had a, some big Buick LeSabre. It must have been 20, 30, 40, 50 feet long. I don't know. And he was driving it as a 92-year-old. And he would not give up driving until he nearly got broadsided by a fire engine with its lights and sirens going. Um, it was very difficult for him to hand over the keys to his car. It's very hard when you live your life being quite independent and quite gifted and how to find yourselves growing feebler and, and getting sore and stiff and forgetting things. And you think, what, what good am I still doing? Am I offering anything good? And I want to remind you that you still have the breath of life in you because the Lord still has a job for you with these people. Please don't fall prey to the temptation that somehow, that if you just lost your life, if you just went away, everyone would be better. You know, euthanasia is taking off in Canada in a huge way. As long as I have breath, no one's going to euthanize you. You won't have it because you're that valuable and that important. What you've lost in body mass, you've gained in wisdom and in, in an intellect. That's terribly important for a church that is increasingly losing the rudder on its church. We need men, especially godly men, who will fear the Lord and do right. Oftentimes, younger people look at older people as though they have nothing wise to say, and culture treats older folks as if they are outdated 
and antiquated, stuck in decades past, unpassionate, ho-hum. Um, and they don't think you have feelings or that you care. And many older people, too, believe that lie, that they are not needed. And what you do, and I just think it's a crime, between golf and cutting your grass, we have lost many godly older people to the life of the church. Who came up with this idea of retirement as if I can unplug from the church? What a godless idea. Maybe that's part of the reason we're, why we are in the state we're in in the church today. I want to remind you that Abraham was 75 years old when God called him to depart from Haran. He would wait 25 more years before having um, Isaac. And Moses, he was 80 when he started to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. 75-year-olds or 80-year-olds here? <laughs> I make my point, don't I? You have a valuable place in the kingdom of God and in the church. Some of you, some of you are older, but you should know how important you are to the church. John MacArthur is right when he said this, godly older saints who bring strength and stability and wisdom to a church should be cherished. And indeed, you should be cherished because you are a treasure to us. Remember that Solomon's son Rehoboam, uh, after Solomon died, he listened to the bad advice of young men, but had he listened to the advice of the older men, the older and wiser men, uh, who knows what would have happened, but he chose to listen to the advice of the younger hip crowd, and he lost the kingdom. It was divided from him. An older man, and get ready for this, because only three in the front row here um, wouldn't qualify on two accounts for Mariah. <laughs> An older man was considered any man 50 years old or older. So Tim, that officially puts us in the, on the south side of the older. And this, is the, this was the case in ancient Greek literature as well. Where Paul addresses older men because while they may be slowing down, they are invaluable uh, examples for the church, indeed necessary for those who are beneath them. And it is important that you set a godly example for those younger and impressionable and set the pace for the men and women of the church. I want to state that again. It is important that you set a godly example for those younger and impressionable and that you set the pace for the men and women of the church. That's how important you are in the life of a church. And I realize that in our culture, we talk about older people as being silly and we forget them and we push them aside. You realize we're one of the few cultures that does that. Most cultures esteem their older people. We need to do that in the church. And because we do that as a culture, the temptation is to say something like, they don't want to hear from me. I'll just go home. No one wants to hear from me. Please don't do that. Please don't buy into that. That's Satan. That's Satan whispering, and we, we forget those things. We want godly older men giving instruction and bringing their, their wisdom to bear. Again, the American men work hard, make money, and then they retire early so they can go play. They drop out of church. <clears throat> and I just question, what kind of example does this set for the younger generations? Older Christian men should not act like Cretans indulging their lust, but they should act like Christians, and this is what you are in Christ. And therefore, Paul would exhort the older men 
to a Christ-like character. Again, he says, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. You get this sense that they are the stabilizing factor in the church. They are the ones who, by wisdom and age, have slowed things down so that we're not reactionary and stupid. They keep us grounded. How important this is. He says, first of all, they're temperate. This would mean sober, moderate in their consumption of wine, if they drink at all. At the very least, this is what temperate means, but probably, though Cretans, we were told, uh, were known for being lazy gluttons, and considering the context of rebellious men, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, the term temperate carries with it this idea of being temperate in thought, in word, and act. In particular, they're not rushed off their feet by any flighty teaching. So some new teaching, some headline has come, something has gone on, and everyone goes, oh, 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 we need to go do this. The older man says, and I, and I love this about John Harris. I don't want to embarrass you, John. He sits in a session meeting. He's an elder emeritus. He sits in our session meetings, and he'll sit there like this as we're discussing, and then he goes, hmm. You see the wrinkles on his forehead. And I always know, John, what do you have to say? And here's the voice of wisdom and moderation and, and, and caution. When John doesn't speak, I'm always just a little bit nervous <laughs> that we're getting ready to do something stupid or foolhardy. I always appreciate it when he, because he gives this perspective of 40,000 feet and he shows us something else. That's the beauty of a session. That's the beauty of elders and, and different men coming together is that you never know what you're going to get on the hindsight, the, 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 on the backside of a session meeting. But here's this idea of, of being temperate. He's, they're, they're not going to be flighty. They're not going to be taken up with the latest things. He is restrained. He's self-controlled. He doesn't jump on a bandwagon merely because that is where the excitement is. He's not moved by fads or trends, and he's not swept away with uh, other things that other people are swept up with. He just says, slow down. Let's think about this. Let's, let's, let's think this through before we act on anything. Older men bring stability to the church and keep us level, and they help keep our eyes fixed on what is important. Brothers, that's your calling. Help us. Help us help the younger men in the congregation. Help us help the younger women. And, and again, that idea of putting you out to pasture so that we can silence you and get you out of our hair is one of the most detrimental things that could ever happen to the church. And don't you find it very interesting that the Apostle Paul doesn't pass over just like he didn't pass over with children. He doesn't pass over with the older men. And he doesn't pass over with the older women, which we will be getting into again next week. How important your jobs are. You've raised your children. You've had a career. You've had two careers. You're busy now at home. Your work in the Lord's church is not finished. It is necessary for the health of the church. 
I would gladly, my mother used to laugh. She worked at cosmetic counters for Dillard's and Nordstrom's and these kind of high-end places. Here she was, this older wrinkled woman, and she would go out there and she would become saleswoman of the year. She did this three or four years, I think, in a row. She won all these awards. And she goes, I don't know what I'm doing. She goes, they hire all these pretty young things who can who can sell and wear makeup and all this. And here I am, this old wrinkled woman. And she goes, I don't know how I end up selling it. She goes, but it's the weirdest thing. It's like these kids come out and they've got these MBAs, you know, these business degrees. And they don't know what they're doing. She goes, I just treat them kindly. And they always come back to me. Maybe it's because I'm so wrinkled they don't feel threatened by me. <laughs> but older people are a treasure that we, we pass over. So we want you to stay involved. He says, so they're, they're to be temperate. He says, also, they are to be dignified. Older men should be dignified. This does not mean that they are highbrow or haughty or self-important. It doesn't mean that they are stuffy. It means, it dignified means that he, he calls forth respect. He's venerable. He's esteem-worthy. He should carry himself in a respectable manner with a proper weightiness. He should not be a silly person, but an appropriate uh, soberness uh, is about him because they've been around a while and have seen and heard and experienced a lot of life. By now, my brothers, you have seen a lot of good and you've seen a lot of bad. You have seen births and you have seen deaths. You have seen the righteous dying early and you have seen the wicked living long you are calibrated in regards to this world. You are not superficial or shallow, and you find the things of this world quite unsatisfying, and you recognize them for what they are, so you, are, you have this certain weight to you and dignity. Again, you're not knocked off your feet by the things that you hear. This is followed by being sensible, which one commentator said is a mature judgment and demonstrates proper restraint. We might say that, that the older men are to be sane. They are to be sane men. He sees the world for what it is, and he lives in this world accordingly. He's not given over to extremes. He restrains his desires and impulses and is not controlled by them. He says enough and no more in regard to these things. And last, he says, you are to be sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in perseverance. Uh, Paul would use these, this same uh, triad in other places, faith, love, and steadfastness. To be sound means to be healthy, to be solid without mixture or error or weakness. I remember when we were working on our house and you try to pull out an old rusty nail from a board and you just could not move it. You couldn't move it. <clears throat> Older men should be like a rusty nail. They don't move easily because they know what the truth is and they stand on that truth. No, that's not right. This is the way it should go. <clears throat> In their faith, they should be solid. They shouldn't be lukewarm, nor should they be mixed with error. Again, they know the truth. They walk and live in the truth. I've known so many men who are big adolescents, who really have no strong convictions regarding the things of the Lord, who are perfectly satisfied 
to be and to do whatever they are told to do who don't lead and who don't say that is wrong or this is right and that is the way that we will go and let us go in it. And again, I chalk this up to a, a culture that has uh, put men out to pasture who says that they're, they don't have a voice and, and, and that's just not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says, not what the scriptures say. Men are supposed to lead. We, we read the word, and, and brothers, I hope you're in the word, and I hope you pray, and, and I hope you think through these things, and I hope you're analyzing. Again, John Harris talking about the smartphone when it was really coming into its own, and he says, I see these young people just sitting there going like this, scrolling through their smartphones all the time. That's, so those are the kinds of things we discern about. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is that a thing we should be doing? Is it the kind of thing we ought to take the phones and throw them out the door while we sit down around a dinner table so we can talk? Yes, these are the kinds of things. You, you, you don't, you, just because you're old doesn't mean you, you've, you've abandoned the culture, but you live in a culture and you're, you're making assessments, you're making judgments, and you should be speaking. And I would really encourage you to speak to your family members and speak to your grandchildren, speak to your children, caution them, caution them, point them in the way that they should go. This is our calling. And, and you're, the, you're the big buck now. You're the old one who's lived long enough that your, your antlers have gotten big. And your words carry weight. You're to be solid in faith. You must be sound in it. When you are, the rest of us are encouraged. You help us see through the fads, the trends, and the new discoveries, the old lies. The older men say to those who are younger, don't worry. There's nothing new here. The way that we are going is the way that we should keep going because this is the way we've always... I remember in 1957 that this was said and this was done, right? How many of you are old enough to remember that we were going into an ice age in the 1970s? And then in the 1980s, we were told what? That there was a fuel shortage. And then now Al Gore came in the 1990s and said the world is heating up. And so you keep hearing these things and the older men can say, been there, done that. Be a good steward, serve the Lord and don't worry. Those are the kinds of things we need to hear from older men. We need your involvement. We need you to speak. Being sound in faith then leads to us being sound in love. Being sound in faith, you are now to be sound in love. You understand it. Again, sound in love. Your love should be without error or mixture. It should not deteriorate into sentimentality, nor must it be permitted to wax cold. It is easy to fall into that very self-centered pit of looking after number one. I've worked hard all of my years. Now it's my turn. Brothers, your turn comes when you die or when the Lord Jesus takes you home, or when he returns. Um, that's, that's, when we, that's when we enter our rest. We need commanders and we need generals on the field. We need people, men, who will help lead the way. So to my older brothers, I appeal to you to do this very thing. It is your turn now to love, to be sound in faith, um, to be sound in love 
and, and to pour your lives into others. Because you know the Lord and all he has done, the certainty of the things that he has said, that you now love the people in the church and that you look after them, that you give to them biblical encouragement, that you help them when you suspect they need it. And don't, don't settle for worldly philosophies. And don't make the mistake that I was encouraging parents not to make this morning. Don't make the mistake that you have no ability to speak into the life of another person. The Lord, our God, has assembled the church with the people he wants in it, old and young alike. And we have to minister to each other. This minister can only do so much. And I can only meet so many people. And I'm not browbeating you because I know some of you are very involved in the lives of other people, and that's a wonderful thing. My big concern is, is that some of you may, may be thinking that you ought to sit down and shut up and not be involved, and that would be a mistake. That would truly be a mistake, and it would hurt the church. You are called to encourage others in their callings. I would encourage you as men to come along alongside younger men to encourage them in their work, with their family, family responsibilities, with their duties as husbands, um, to encourage them in regard to their wives, to their children. If they're single, that you would encourage them not to be discouraged in their singleness, to be bewildered or perplexed. You get to know these men, you get to know these young people, and you can speak into their lives. We were, I was talking with a young lady the other day, and she's so sweet, and she mentioned how she feels a little inferior to her sister. And I said, well, you know you're not. She does one of these. I said, you're not. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're exactly what the Lord wants you to be. Don't, don't begrudge that. I said, there's not another one like you. And so rejoice in what the Lord has made you. And someday you're going to see it plays a purpose in this world. Now, I'm an older guy. I technically fall into the category of older men. <laughs> and I'm just talking, and I'm taking the truth of Scripture, and I'm applying it to a young person and helping them. Hopefully, I'm helping them by pointing them to the truth and the reality. And I could say, in five or six years, all this cloudy thinking that you're experiencing, it's going to blow away and your feet are going to feel solid underneath you again. Don't, don't let it worry you. But who else is going to say that? Godly older people need to be speaking like that. To all our young people, we've got young families. They're raising children. Do you remember what it was like to raise children? To feel like, oh, I'm out of grocery money, and we still got four days before the next paycheck. What do I do with this one? You know? Oh, my wife's in such a snit. I don't know what to do. An older man says, we're going to pray, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and love her. You take her flowers, speak kindly to her, speak truthfully to her, reassure her, whatever it is. An older man comes in, and he says these things because he's lived it, he's done it, and he knows what the scriptures state. That's being sound in love. That's taking the word of God and applying it. We've lost our best and our oldest. They've been sent out to pasture in RVs, and this is so wrong. This man loves his family. He loves his church. He loves his neighbors. He loves his enemies. He loves the strangers off the street, and he seeks how he might be a blessing to others. 
how he might lead them to the fountain of life. Still think you don't have an important job, brothers? I think you have an incredibly important job. Finally, he should be sound in perseverance and steadfastness. One commentator says, In the New Testament, it is the characteristic of a man who has unswerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. He just is tough as nails. And he just keeps marching. He just keeps doing it. And I think of the Lord who traveled to Jerusalem, who was undeterred and unswerving in his adherence to the truth and in his love for his people, who was steadfast so that he would accomplish on Calvary's cross what concerns us. And this, my friends, my brothers, is what we must be like. This is what we are called to be as well. Um, in order that we may help the rest of the congregation by setting an example of godliness um, and not allowing the congregation to be taken in and buying into the philosophies of this age. And brothers, I'm asking you, please, if you're not involved, consider being more involved and taking time to visit with people in the back and don't remove yourself and don't let Satan drive you away. Um, you have so much, by God's grace, that you can offer to other younger men especially, that you can come along and encourage them in the things of the Lord. They need it. We need it. Right? This is what the body of Christ is called to be. Let's close in prayer. We thank you, Father, again for this evening, and I thank you for your word and pray that you will help us uh, to learn to minister to one another. I thank you for those who are ministering. And pray, Father, that the, um, the lies that, that we have fallen prey to, the, the voices we hear in our head of, of how no one wants us around, we pray, Father, that we would not listen to those things, those lies of the devil. We thank you, Lord, for the lives you've given us, and we thank you for the 70 or 80 years of due to strength that you have blessed us with. And we pray, Lord, that while we have strength and while you have blessed us with our minds, we pray, Father, that you would help us to turn and continue to strive to be a blessing to those younger who are in the, the midst of uh, hardships in life and trying to figure things out. We pray, Lord, that you would open doors for us to be able to address them in their world and encourage them where they need to go. Help us, we pray, to be faithful servants to you. And we pray, Lord, that across this nation and in your church that you would help and bring older men back to help stabilize and to steady the ship and steer it in the, the, into the safe waters. We thank you again for your faithfulness in assembling your church. And I thank you for this congregation and these brothers and sisters that you have brought here tonight and who are in this congregation. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to minister uh, for your glory and for the good of those around us. And now we commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.